Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF, and with me today are John Bayer, the Philly Inquirer, Philadelphia Daily News, a columnist for lots of people, and Mark Levy of the Associated Press. Thanks for coming, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. <laughs> hey. Um, we're in Little Amps. It's Friday. It's uh, 11.10, and we are going to talk pretty much exclusively about the upcoming primaries. So they are this coming Tuesday, so May 15th. And uh, I think notably, obviously, there's a gubernatorial primary. There are also lots of congressional races that are pretty highly contested and more interesting than many years because the maps were just redrawn. And uh, lots of stuff, contested lieutenant governor race. So we'll get into all that. Um, I guess first off, John, you know, looking at where the gubernatorial GOP primary stands right now, would you say there's a clear front runner? Well, there appears to be, but there's an interesting element in the polling that we know about, and, and it's really a, there's been a paucity of polling for what is arguably a pretty important primary. But what we know from what we've seen is that Scott Wagner, uh, the state senator from New York, appears to be a front runner. The interesting thing to me is a number of polls that have shown undecideds at anywhere between 22 and 30 percent. Mm-hmm. If that's true, if people are still making up their mind, then it's hard to say anybody is a front runner because in a three-way race, 20 to 25, 30 percent undecided could be the deciding factor. Sure. And so candidates in this primary, you got Scott Wagner, uh, you know, an independently wealthy trash man uh, from York County who's also in the Senate. We've also got Paul Mango, another independently wealthy healthcare consultant from out by Pittsburgh. And then Laura Ellsworth, who's a lawyer from Pittsburgh, who's the only one who hasn't put millions of dollars into her own campaign. So, um, Although she probably could, though, if she, she wanted to. She probably could to. if she I wanted mean, to, yeah. Not saying she's like, you know, has no money. She's not a public defender. She's a commercial litigation attorney. <laughs> so, yeah, right. important context Also, also married to an attorney who's now of counsel to one of the major Philly firms, former federal prosecutor. So I assume their personal situation is not like ours. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not mad about it. Good for you, Laura. Um, so, yeah, so that's uh, the three candidates. You know, the, this race has been marked. I think we've all written about this by lots of very negative ads, specifically between Mango and Wagner. Yeah. Ellsworth mostly stayed out of it, but she has run a couple, I think, in the, just the last week, right? So, uh, Right. She has a uh, what, the, what their campaign claims is a $500,000 buy, which they said yesterday that they've added a little more to, which in a state the size of Pennsylvania, if it is targeted, is a pretty decent buy. Um, the difficulty is in the southeast, where the bulk of the vote, well, a third of the vote is, that's a very expensive market, and $500,000 doesn't take you a long way. I'm told they're in every market but Erie because they say the number of uh, likely Republican voters in Erie isn't enough to warrant spending money there. So if they have targeted smaller markets around the state, she could have some impact. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so you mentioned polling. These are, you know, we've seen some internal polls. you got to take those with a grain of salt because right. they're done by campaigns. But there's been two polls just that have been done about the general, you know, elections, but nothing about how the GOP candidates compare to each other. But these were from Widener University and Franklin and Marshall College. And I think both of them basically said, you know, as you said, lots of undecided voters. And also that Governor Wolf, I mean, whoever wins the GOP primary seems to be in relatively healthy shape going into the general election. Correct. Uh, Governor, Governor Wolf's numbers are good, and they're good alone, and they're good compared to any of the three candidates for now. Yeah. 
And so then getting into those three candidates, Mark, um, I think you did a story just kind of breaking down their policy positions. Overall, I would say all three, fair to say they're conservative Republicans. They stand together on many issues. Uh, Were there any spots where you saw like a lot of divergence? So there's probably two, three key spots that have come up repeatedly in the debates. One is um, on school property taxes. There's a um, very vocal and passionate movement from some parts of the state to uh, eliminate school property taxes, um, in theory, by raising state sales and income taxes. It's, 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 it's an unwieldy concept. It's hard to figure out how it would work. Um, and it's, um, I think, legislation has passed the House a couple years ago, installed in the Senate. But uh, Paul Mango and Scott Wagner uh, uh, support legislation to do that. Uh, Laura Ellsworth opposes it, saying that it would eliminate local control over schools. Um, it would uh, potentially endanger funding for schools. Um, and um, she's instead said that she supports creating more local taxing options at the local level right. for, for school funding. Also on schools, I think Ellsworth has said she doesn't want charter schools and public schools to compete for funding, which would be a, a new concept. Right. That's an important point. And a lot of Democrats, I think, would agree with her on that. They would. And they did not used to compete for money necessarily until Tom Corbett became governor and eliminated a, a line of funding in the budget, which reimbursed public schools for the money that flowed to charter schools. Um, so she's said that, but all three also uh, would support um, expanding taxpayer money for private and parochial schools. Mm-hmm. Um, on minimum wage, Scott Wagner uh, uh, supports an increase in the minimum wage. He said to nine fifty or nine seventy five. Currently, Pennsylvania is at the uh, federal minimum of seven and a quarter. And do you know um, why he supports that? Because that seems interesting, like an interesting position for him to be taking. Yeah, that is very much against GOP orthodoxy. He's said a couple things. One is that nobody he knows pays it, and two, why not just raise it and just get the debate off the table and move past it? Interesting. So, and Pennsylvania, notable outlier, especially in the Northeast, for their minimum wage. And all of the states right. around us do not have as low a wage as we do. And I think the last time I checked, I think most states had moved on and raised their minimum wage. So Pennsylvania is is an outlier not only in the Northeast, but in the rest of the country. Yeah. So Um, that's a big one. That's a big one. Uh, There was one other one that comes up repeatedly, which is um, the idea of um, adding protections for uh, gender expression, uh, gender identity. It's, It's a big issue for the LGBT community. Uh, Scott Wagner has uh, backed legislation to um, protect them in the same way that uh, the state protects uh, a race uh, and religion and other categories of people from discrimination in the workplace and uh, in housing and uh, in public accommodation. Um, mm-hmm. Paul Mango uh, opposes that saying that the legislation of Scott Wagner supports lax protections for um, school children, bathrooms, etc. Also, um, you know, I think religion was part of that. R- right, religious conscience. Um, uh, Paul Mango, also a proud opponent of gay marriage, he says personally, though, right. although he would not go against the Supreme Court. So. Right. Um, so, look, look, he said the legislation of Scott Wagner supports, which, which Laura Ellsworth also supports, 
would endanger privacy in bathrooms, would endanger children, religious conscience. Um, mm-hmm. Supporters of the bill say there's just no track record of right. that kind of a thing in any state that has a law that protects uh, gender expression, gender identity, um, being essentially being able to you know, use the bathroom you choose yeah. and also being protected. From I mean, it's fundamentally sort of a, an anti-hate crime law. I think that's how a lot of its supporters have built it, how it's been, you know, touted in lots of states, right? I mean, it's just an additional protection for these people. It's not necessarily part of the crimes code. It essentially says right. the Human Relations Commission can investigate you if, if someone complains that you uh, discriminated. But, you know, look, there's a movement in the business community to add this to, to the law um, because, in theory, Pennsylvania will become a much friendlier state to people who worry that they might be discriminated against. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a big issue. Yeah. And supporters of that are pushing it right now, especially because of the Amazon deal. The Amazon deal, many feel Amazon would be turned off by the fact that we don't have that right. protection right now for the LGB community. And you've seen a lot of pro-business Republicans even bringing that up in, in right. you know, I think the reasons for supporting it. I think Scott Wagner has said that as well, that we can't be seen as a backward state. Well, well too late. Um, <laughs> the other thing that struck me and that came out in one of the early debates that, I mean, people have said that Laura Ellsworth is running in the wrong primary, and one of the reasons is she was the only one of the three who said she would not take money from the NRA. That's something that everybody can understand, and particularly in light of Parkland and that the whole attitude now about the need for some sensible gun control. When you see that, when somebody says that, it just sort of labels you, and although she doesn't like labels, that kind of made a lot of people think, well, you know, you're in the wrong party. The interesting thing to me, uh, Katie, in this race, and it brings up one of the fundamentals of the of the uh, the voting uh, our voting laws in Pennsylvania is we're one of a minority of states that have closed primaries. Right. So if you are a Republican, you can only vote for for Republican candidates. If you're a Democrat, you can't. We have more than a million, more than 1.1 million people, who, uh, registered voters in this state who are not registered as Republican or Democrat. And it's the, it's the fastest growing element of the of the voting electorate. Right. So essentially a lot of people cannot vote in primaries because of this. The, that's right. I've always argued you're being disenfranchised if you're an independent voter. People who have registered unaffiliated is what we call it in Pennsylvania. is close to 75,000. If those 75,000 people could vote, I think a lot of them would be attracted to Laura Ellsworth. Uh, and, and so she's at a, a deep disadvantage going into this mm-hmm. apart from the money issue and the fact she's running against one party endorsed candidate, Scott Wagner. And so fundamentally, I think this, uh, and I think what you're saying points to this, serves to <laughs> make sure candidates on the polar sides of each any issue get more supporters because exactly. those are going to be the supporters who are not independents. Yeah. So, um, and I also think Laura Ellsworth, I mean, I think it's not quite fair to call her a moderate because she's clearly a conservative she's, Republican. Yeah, she's a conservative Republican and comes from a business background, and that's completely understandable. But she also is not, I think she has made a point of, like, giving herself some distance from, for, for instance, Trump. She's the only candidate in this race who didn't vote for Donald Trump. She, she voted for John, John Kasich. Kasich. Yeah. yeah. So not even a Gary Johnson. She was right. all for Kasich. Yeah. Um, so anyway, interesting uh, diversions there. Any other issues you guys see as, uh, you know, maybe turning points for these candidates, ones where they all diverge? 
they are pretty I mean, even. There are there are some other minor issues out there that but those are, are the major uh, ones. Yeah. yeah, those are sort of the ones that have come up repeatedly yeah. at, at debates. I know. I talked to Ellsworth recently, and she mentioned that she is for redistricting reform, which is something that a lot of Republicans are very angry about right now. Yeah. And I think it's an issue that's not often, right now anyway, considered on its own merits because there's so much um, bad blood about this recent Supreme Court decision to redraw right. the congressional maps. I think Wagner and Mango are both sort of in the camp of, no, keep it as it is. Mm-hmm, but that's right. She, She's I, also in favor of campaign finance limits, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, she supports an independent commission, which some Republicans do, but it's gotten little traction in the House. Um, so anyway, that's that. Mark, you had an interesting story in the last week or so about Wagner's uh, sort of vested interest in a highly regulated industry in Pennsylvania, the, the trash hauling industry. Uh, what did you What did you find there? So it's been a long time since uh, the 60s when you can last identify a person became governor with, uh, with interest in heavily regulated uh, business. Um, this is, this is the, the waste hauling business. Uh, every load that's taken of, of municipal waste, like you know your, your curbside waste that's taken from your house, picked up in the truck and taken to a landfill, every load is weighed and logged by a landfill and reported to the state. So that's only one element of how heavily regulated it is. Every truck must be permitted by the state. Every every trash truck must have certain things in it, like a, a fire extinguisher. It, it can't leak while it's on the roads. Are there environmental um, permitting things in there, too? Yes. I for mean, like for, for instance, land, landfills as well, but also for your trash trucks. They can't leak while they're on the roads. I mean, yeah. um, they also have to meet, you know, roadworthy standards. So there's various agencies involved in this. Um, the state police enforce violations on the road. So the idea here is that he would be at the controls of a state government that um, that essentially is in, enforces regulations against his business. He said that he would not sell it. He wouldn't get rid of it. He would have, you know, his managers or his family members running it, but he still owns 80% of it now. Right. And you can't, and, you got to imagine, you know, if a guy is governor and also has this business, he's not going to just turn off the part of him that wants his business to do well, even if somebody else is running it for the time being. So there's yeah, it has talk. a little Trumpish element. It feels Trumpy, it. Yeah, doesn't it? Bit, it's yeah. like, well, no, I'm not going to run it. My son's on. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, he's not going to forget that he owns it. There's right. talk about, well, can't he just put his interest in it in a blind trust? But well, that's what, what, Trump said he was what every do watchdog, lawyer, and, and agency has told me is that it's not like you get amnesia about your <laughs> Just because it's vested in a blind interest. trust, right. you don't forget that, like, hey, this law would be good for my trash business. Well, the only solution, really, that would satisfy watchdogs uh, in terms of conflict of interest is, is selling it. Um, there's no state law in Pennsylvania or any other state that I could find or, or that watchdogs knew of that forces a say a governor to sell an asset before they become governor but hey, this Jimmy is... Carter had to sell his peanut farm to be president so. did he I think so wasn't that Jimmy Carter he had a peanut farm or something Jimmy Carter definitely had a peanut farm I think did he, he have it. to sell it or did he sell it I by think choice? he sold I it recall. by choice I wasn't around so I can't remember but he sold it there are ethics <laughs> law in the federal government that require um, certain executive branch yeah. officials to sell assets that they, they don't apply to the president but um but this is an issue that a number of states have increasingly dealt with because right. rich people are getting elected to the governor increasingly. So <laughs> it seems like mostly rich people. I mean, it is. It's all millionaires in this race right now. So yeah. I mean, you know, 
Um, although they haven't released their tax returns, so it's hard to tell exactly how much of millionaires they all are. That's right. Um, uh, Ellsworth, Mango, and Wagner have said they would not release right. a tax return. Another Trumpy thing. Another Trumpy thing. Just trickle down Trump. Yep. Um, all right. So, I mean, what did you hear from Wagner's campaign on this? Did they say anything about it? Um, look, they. Uh, I haven't heard back from them on the story. Um, but um, they were fully aware that I was working on it for weeks. And they didn't want to make any comments? Oh, no. They comment. They answered every question I okay. had. Okay. Yep. And okay. they were quoted in the story uh, several times. Okay. So did they say, I mean, like, that, just that he's going to divest or put his stuff in a blind trust or, like, just that he's going to not? Was that it? That was their answer? He's, he's been asked about this publicly, and yeah. he's said, um, both publicly and in, and in the campaign's comments to me, that, uh, he's got professional managers there who will run it, family members who will run it, and he'll be busy running the state and won't have time to worry about what Penn Waste is doing. Okay. Um, <laughs> John's laughing. Um, we have uh, more races, not just the gubernatorial one, coming up in this primary season. Uh, lots and lots of congressional races. Oh, my. Oh, my. And lots of them that are very, very crowded. Yeah. Um, this is fascinating yeah, because, is I mean, we have we have 18 congressional seats, and we have, by my count, 85 candidates Insane. running for those. And because of the whole new redistricting thing, seven open seats out of 18, right? That's right. I mean, that is unheard of. Uh, and it's not just redistricting. We've had some, you know, retirees, re- retirees and people who have done bad things. Not necessarily by choice, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, there, there are crowded fields. I mean, there's a, a Philadelphia suburban race with 11 candidates. There's a southern, southwestern district with uh, 13 candidates or, or so. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. And... In some, and particularly in the southeast, there are races that have just a bevy of qualified candidates. Yeah. Usually in Pennsylvania, we get slugs on ballots, you know, especially for congressional races because they haven't been competitive by and large. And now all of a sudden we have this wealth of yeah. people who like are qualified. Multiple to state go to reps Washington. running for one seat, yeah. that sort of situation. Yeah. So, and Mark, you did a story. You were talking about there are some races, a couple of them, where somebody could get less than 20% of the vote. A winner could right. get less than there, 20%. There's three primaries. Uh, there's 10 Democrats running uh, in the 5th District uh, in, in southeastern Pennsylvania. There there's six Democrats running uh, for the 7th District in the Lehigh Valley and eight Republicans running in the, what is it, the 13th, 13th District yeah. now in, in sort of so southern, across yes. a broad yeah. swath of southern Pennsylvania. And so the winner could theoretically win in, in, in the 5th District, could win with 11% of the vote, yeah. uh, the, and, and that's a district that leans Democrats. So in theory, the primary here... Is, will be the race, yeah. right? Is, is essentially anointing the winner, and that's the same with the other, with the uh, the the thirteenth uh, in southern Pennsylvania. It's a heavily Republican district. One of the eight who wins the primary will likely win the general. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lehigh Valley seat is a little different because uh, it's it's viewed as a toss up district yeah. in the general. And obviously, this I mean, this is a very unusual year for congressional elections specifically. I mean, you had so many people running sort of last-minute campaigns because they were in one yeah. district, had to sort of reorient all of a sudden, get new signatures, and run in a totally different district. Yeah. So, I mean, John, have you ever seen anything like quite no, like this? Uh, no, and nobody has. Nobody and has. I mean, there very are unusual. there are some people. Uh, Committee of seventy, for instance, is is a little bit afraid that in many areas of the state, voters or longtime voters are going to go into the polls and and not 
even know who, who these people are. Right. You know, they're they're looking at the balance. Well, where's good old whatever his name was? And you know, <laughs> oh, may, he's running across the state. Totally now. be confused yeah. on who to vote for, and maybe even not vote in that in that in that race. So, I mean, yeah. it'll be very curious to me to see what the turnout is like and what the numbers are like after people vote. And this has been a source of, like, so much kind of angst in the state capitol, especially, uh, you know, Democrats who supported this redistricting that happened um, have said, no, 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 people can figure it out. It'll be fine. Nobody's going to get confused. And Republicans have said this is going to be, like, the end of times. Yes. You know, I mean, <laughs> so I'm sure it'll be somewhere in the middle of that. But uh, it's going to be, I think, a very hectic uh, just election day to be watching. Um, also, worth noting, we have a special election on the same day as the primary. Um, or no, is this the general election? Which one's Pat Meehan happening? General. It's the general. Yeah, well I do want to bring this Dent. up. Oh, yeah, Charlie Dent, too. So uh, there, is is a, there is another odd thing. There's, yeah. a, there's a district in western Pennsylvania where you literally have two incumbents right. running against each other. That's wild. Because Connor Lamb won in one district and then... The district was changed, and so now the in- incumbent Democrat Connor Lamb is running against the incumbent Keith Rothfuss, Republican, uh, in, in, Republican uh, in, a, in a district in the Pittsburgh region. Uh, I, I, I'll, I, I'd be hard pressed to point to another time in American history where two incumbents ran against. Well, each and other. you also have a person who literally just lost a congressional race now running a, a different congressional race in a different district. Rick Cone, yeah. So you know you could also, and this was brought up during their initial um, special election, but you could very well have you know Congressman Rick Cone and, and Congressman Con- Connor Lamb. Yeah. And it's just an interesting thing. I do want to bring up um, the uh, Mian special election just for quick because I think that's something that we should be looking out for. Um, I don't know if we discussed it on the podcast before. But anyway, Pat Mian uh, left in a blaze of glory recently after some sexual harassment stuff. Uh, he is joined by Charlie Dent, who has long said he's leaving and I think got a better private sector opportunity. Um, so... Uh, they both are going to have special elections to replace them, but they're going to be happening on the same day as the general election under different maps. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the Democrats have said this will not be confusing. Wolf is the person who made this decision. He yeah. says it's just to save money. We don't want to do all these special elections. Is it going to be confusing, John? Um, I, I mean, I assume that the people who will be running in the general will also be running in the special. Right. So all you have to do is vote twice for the same person. <laughs> and and uh, just... just that what we hope is it doesn't happen throughout the ballot where people are trying to vote twice for the same person. Right. And this is a special election to fill the seat. So you're starting uh, November 6th. The next Congress begins January 3rd. The winner of the special probably it might take a week or two or three to, to yeah. count all the votes and then swear them in. So they're really, this special is really just to serve the last, say, month and a half, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And so it could be like, hypothetically, this could happen where somebody gets elected in the special, gets sworn in for their month and a half tenure in Congress, yeah. and then is immediately replaced by the winner of the general election. Or a person could, could, get, could win in the special and the general and end up down the road with better seniority than anybody else elected in this cycle. Because <laughs> they have that extra month right. of experience. Crazy. Um, you know, it could happen. Stranger things, I don't know if stranger things have happened, but <laughs> it's got to be up there. All right, guys. Um, anything else you're looking at going into this primary election? Um, I'm sort of fascinated by the lieutenant governor. Oh race yeah, let's talk about Democratic that real quick. Side. Real quick. Um, we've got four candidates for lieutenant governor. 
five, five? I think it's five. Five counting yeah. stack. Five counting Five Democrats. Stack. Five Democrats, five yeah. Democrats. So, um, Nine including altogether. the sitting Democrat Mike Stack. <laughs> right. So this is, uh, this is, I've heard the word unprecedented, where um, sure. a sitting lieutenant governor, you know, is really in a very, you know, contested race for his own re-election, even if the governor is, uh, you know, kind of seen as kind of a little bit safer. Yeah. So, you know, what do you... Well, is yeah, it, it is yet another odd thing in yeah. a very odd year. You have uh, Mike Stack, who came under fire last year and got slapped by Governor Wolf, who took away some of his staff for alleged misbehavior and denigration and treating people like they were indentured servants that worked for him. <laughs> so he is kind of challenged and damaged uh, going into this crowded Democratic primary. And the, and the fascinating thing will be whether or not there is a there's a, a candidate in Philadelphia. You assume Mike Stack, who comes from a very political family, his grandfather was a congressman. He and his father were ward leaders down there. Uh, they've kind of owned North Philadelphia politics, Democratic politics, for a long, long time, and has a lot of followers and supporters. You would think that he would carry Philadelphia, and because the field is crowded, he would therefore be reelected, sure. be renominated. However, however, we have a Democratic candidate with very strong credentials, a former deputy mayor, uh, Nina Ahmad, who's who's running a strong campaign. She had money on hand because she was going to run for Congress and right. then, switched, then switched over to run and for lieutenant governor. she has twice as much money as Stack has put in. Because this. she was raising, right, for, to, to, for a congressional run. Right. So if she's able to kind of cut into his Philadelphia base and take some of that, that you would think would open the way for John Fetterman, the rock star mayor of Braddock, who's gotten some national acclaim. Bernie Sanders endorsed him. Bernie Sanders endorsed him. Um, He's somewhat known around the state because he ran for the U.S. Senate in, in 2016 and did better than anybody expected. And he's the only Western candidate. Western candidates tend to get regional support because people in the West like to vote for their own. So you would think that if this Philly split happens and the West does what the West does, that John Fetterman will be nominated to run with Michael Stack or and, with the governor. And governor it bears Wolf. pointing out to people who don't know who John Fetterman is that he's six foot eight. He's right? kind of a folk hero, a little he bit. He has yeah. a shaved head. He's tattooed. He has like a uniform that he wears, basically the black shirt and shorts. That's right, uh, black work dicky shirt. Yeah, I'd be interested to see whether he wears that onto the Senate floor. I can't wait as to part see of him with his governor's. Well, we can all right. wear whatever we want if Fetterman goes with that. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and he, he once told me, Mark, that if you ever see me in a coat and tie, you know I've sold out. Oh, interesting. So that'll be if he does get elected, um, that'll be the thing to watch, right. I suppose. The fashion wardrobe. Watch. It'll be a fashion watch. <laughs> Fetterman fashion watch. Um, so yeah, really interesting slate of candidates. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, do you think Stack's in real danger here? Either one of you? I, I do. Uh, only because it's been a year's worth of any story that refers to him mentions this. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, whether people, whether it sinks in, whether people pay attention, you know, it is just that in primaries, your county goes with your name. And there is... Uh, a great advantage to being from Western Pennsylvania when you're running in a crowded primary. And I think that that probably has a greater impact on him than his now decorated past. All right. So that's that race. Um, 
I think we'll leave it there for today. But, uh, you know, anything you're watching in particular when you're going to be like, you know, election day comes, what are you, what's your first priority? Probably gubernatorial election? Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, but we'll be watching the the congressional races very, very closely yeah. because because control of the U.S. House is on the line this year in November's election. And Pennsylvania and has a ton, a ton of seats up in the air. Yeah, and yeah. Pen- yeah, Pennsylvania has three seats that'll be toss-ups in November. It has two seats that likely will flip from Republican to Democrat, and the primaries could tell us could could give some signs as to what happens in November. Yeah, it's one of those odd years where the go- the governor's race is really getting the least amount of attention on the big scale. I mean, we pay attention to it. I haven't talked to anybody just in private life who asks about the governor's race. People right. ask about the congressional race, Pennsylvania's role in national politics and the effort to Democrats to win back the House. All of the attention from outside of Pennsylvania and I think from the general public are on these congressional races. Very little attention being paid to the governor's race. Yeah, interesting. So that'll be big. Um, I think we'll leave it there for today, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you and for having us. Yeah, we will be back next week.